Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast, where we're having ongoing digital discipleship conversations about when and where the kingdom and the culture collide. Episode 36, How to Handle Sadness. So recently, a gym bro DM'd me on the gram, and he asked me two incredible questions. And the backdrop of this, like, was that there was an abuser, a guy who had abused people, I think sexually or something. He went to jail, and then he was sexually abused. So him and I were dialoguing on justice, uh, the sadness of the situation, and uh, human brokenness. And so we were kind of like dialoguing on that. And then I was telling him, kind of like as a pastor, I deal with the ramifications of the abuse or the, you know, the violation and just how, how that really affects people on a human level. And so he asked me two really important questions that I said, man, I want to just say thank you for asking those questions because I thought that they would make a great podcast because um, I couldn't answer the question sufficiently in like a one minute blurb. Mm. And so the first question that he asked was, how do I deal with all the sadness so he's talking about like the things that I hear, the things that I see, my own life, but basically the stuff that comes to me as a result of being in the ministry. Number two, the second question he asks is, do you find it challenging? And um, he, you know, being vulnerable and transparent, which I think is an expression of humility, he, he said, you know, he opened up and he said he's done therapy for a few years straight and has always wondered that. He also mentioned that he feels like as a pastor, I may get more than in his words, a common therapist, which is a classic comment to me because sometimes people come to me after a therapist doesn't work, um, which is a true story. And I just want to say that I have absolute respect for therapists and I am not a clinical therapist or a clinical psychologist. So I do respect the discipline of that study and that practice. I want to be clear on that. And I am not uh, a therapist in that sense. Um, and so I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm any way downplaying uh, the role that they play in people's mental health and in helping to get people uh, well. In fact, I had a, a pastor friend of mine who spoke into my life and he was a clinical psychologist uh, and he had a practice in Montclair and he gave up that practice to be a pastor. Uh, he's he has he's he's passed on. And he's with the Lord. His name is um, Scott Persley, and he asked me a question that transformed my life. So I want to say that I do have a great value for good questions, and I have value for therapists and people that are are really wanting to see other people get well. I just want to sometimes to effectively communicate, you have to tell people what you're not saying and what you are saying. And so if I go to his question of how do I deal with all the sadness, um, I have dealt with sadness and disappointment in my own life in in a bunch of different ways. Um, in my mom dying uh, prematurely, um, in Sarah and I losing two children, uh, in all the various disappointments that come with ministry uh, through the economic challenges in starting a ministry and starting a church and the beginning years of of things that are really difficult. Um, uh, So I I would say that, you know, I have dealt with a, a fair amount of sadness. And what I found is that 
like any problem, if you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. And so how do I deal with sadness? I, I would say that I deal with sadness biblically. Um, and let me let me flesh that out. Um, biblically speaking, more than one third of the Psalms, so out of 150 Psalms, 59 of them, to be exact, are Psalms of lament. Lament deals with deep sadness and not just of individuals, but of a nation and a community of faith. So there's a whole book in the Bible called the Book of Lamentations, which Jeremiah the prophet is lamenting over the sins of Israel, the destruction that came on Jerusalem, and all of those different things. So within the biblical text and within the narrative of Scripture and the history of Israel, there is a tremendous amount of mourning and lament. And I think that if you take mourning and lament out of worship, it's not real. And I think that if you don't deal with sadness or disappointment, um, I think that you become mentally ill. Mm -hmm. So if you don't learn how to grieve, um, if you don't learn how to grieve well, then you will become mentally ill or you will reach for habits that don't heal you but actually bring further uh, destructive stuff to you. And so for me, like on a practical sense, right, one of the things that I found that's very helpful in dealing with sadness is journaling. And so I would write down what I'm frustrated about and how it's making me feel. And then I would write a prayer to the Lord about it. You know, um, I would pray to Jesus about it. I would uh, cry about it, you know, in prayer or in dealing and processing my own uh, emotions. I think that, so for, for me, I want to deal with sadness, grief, lament, anger. I want to deal with, with those by faith, but not using faith to escape reality, acknowledging the reality and dealing with the reality in and with and through faith, not as an escape from it, but as a pathway through it. Yeah. And so when you look into the biblical lament, you know, the psalmist is like, God, where are you? You know, have you forgot about us? How long will this going to last? And then if you read the psalmist, it's like the psalmist begins to then talk to himself about the history of God and God's history with Israel. And in the end, he's encouraging himself and reminding himself to trust in the Lord. And so I, I think that in, in one sense, that's how um, I do it. Uh, journaling is a practical um, another practical is um, in the kingdom and just through wisdom, I always teach that crap goes uphill. So in, in the real world, you know, you take, you know, you go to the bathroom and it, and it goes downhill and it's pitch that takes it out to the street. Mm. But if you want to get help, you really need to take your junk to people who are trusted, who are steady, who are wise, and who will not misuse the information that you've given to them. So it's like, I'm not gonna say something to someone who's gonna weaponize what I've said to them against me, but I wanna take my stuff to people who are really for me. Um, and so that I feel is another way um, to deal with it. I think that that's really wise. And I think that intuitively we do that in many areas in our life. You know, if you have a problem with your electric, 
I mean, if you have common sense, you call the electrician mm-hmm. or the plumber. I mean, if it's something that you can handle, you know, like changing a doorknob, uh, maybe my wife could do it. <laughs> but, you, you know, like generally speaking, we naturally reach toward professionals for things. And I think that with counseling or mental health or pastoral care or uh, therapy, I think that that's a, that's a wise thing to do. I think when it becomes unwise is if you're going to someone who literally doesn't have the wisdom or the experience to actually help you. Um, I think that that then becomes an issue. So one of the things I think too I've learned is that I don't internalize everything that I'm going through. And it's almost like I hear someone speaking and I genuinely do care, but the pain of what they're going through can't live inside my own heart. And so there is, there is a sense in which through spiritual maturity, emotional health and emotional, you know, emotional (laughs) agility a little bit Mm -hmm. where I am listening to something and it is like in a folder on my desktop. Um, but then it gets transferred over to a hard drive and I'm not the hard drive, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And and so it's like, I listen, I care, but I do not carry the burden of something I don't control. So Pastor Reginald Celestin, my dear friend from Haiti, an overseer of many churches who hears stories weekly and daily that would make an average person like lose their marbles. Mm-hmm. He said something to me years ago that he said, I don't worry about what I'm not in control of. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a practical as it relates to dealing with um, sadness. I also think with sadness, sometimes sadness uh, is like a notification on our phone where let's say I'm on a phone call with you and I get a notification. I'm going to kind of swipe up to get rid of that notification so that I can finish what I'm going, uh, what I'm, what I'm talking about now. And then I'll revisit that. So sometimes sadness means I need to revisit a memory or a situation. Sometimes it's a notification telling me that maybe my priorities are out of order. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes things affect us too much because we have the wrong priorities or the wrong value system, or we value something that is a three, but it's feeling like an eight or a nine because of some unresolved issues in our life or because of a lack of understanding of the true value of what it is we're sad about. I think that is um, something too. Um, let me ask you this, DK. How do you like? How do you process sadness? Yeah, um, this one's interesting because I just want to share. Compared to you, in your journey of processing and understanding how to deal with this stuff, I'm actually still growing. What I mean by that is, I want to say about three, four years ago. I learned that I was so stunted in this area of learning how to process sadness and grief. And God, when I let God into my life and healed things in me, that was a big thing that I learned. It was a big revelation. And maybe this is helpful for some people out there. Um, What I learned was in my upbringing, somewhere along the line, it was illegal for me to feel emotions in that way. So I lived life where if things felt sad or, or painful, I would push it away. Mm. I just, I, I, I just wouldn't sit in that. And, you know, 
Would you say that that is part of Asian or Korean culture? So it's interesting. I was actually um, in L.A. this past week and my mom was there, too. And she's watching her grandchildren and my my brother's kid. And he's crying. You know, he's a year and a half years old. They just cry because they're babies. Yeah. By immediately her response is to shut down the crying. And then, bam, I realized, oh, that's what it was. And I remembered my own mom when I'm a kid and I'm crying and she's always say, stop crying, stop crying. And almost it became a thing where, like, it's not legal to have sad emotions in the house. Yeah. So, so was, I was learned that. That was built into me. That's, yeah. that's really interesting. I, I find that if we suppress stuff, we either explode or implode. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And I'm not saying this is the case with your mom, but let's say you grew up in a war generation, Mm -hmm. right? Where there was war in your country or on your land. If a mother would tell a child to stop crying Mm -hmm. uh, at wartime, that could be so that enemy combatants don't discover you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm just using that as an example that sometimes people are conditioned by circumstances to respond a certain way. And um, and I'm not saying that that is in fact the situation with your mom. I'm just saying yeah. that sometimes there's learned behavior mm-hmm. that people do and they don't even know why they do it. Yeah. And so um, I think when it comes to feelings, let me just actually share about feelings. Um, as a traveling preacher, I would travel to different churches and most of my friends were pastors, and I'd ask them, hey, how you doing? And they would say, oh, church is good, this is growing, business is good, or this is great. And I was asking them about them, but I was always hearing about external things. So I began to ask the question, tell me about your emotions. Mm. <laughs> and when I asked that question, it yeah. opened an absolute can of worms. Then I, I switched it to feelings, mm-hmm. how are the feelings, what's going on, and then people began to share with me what is really going on on the inside of them. And the thing that I found out about feelings is they make a great servant and a terrible master. Mm. So God gave us feelings. Feelings are like notifications. Notifications do have permission to notify. They do not have permission to control. Oh, yeah. And and so I think that you have to have a healthy balance of that and you know god is the one who gave emotions i mean the bible is clear jesus wept jesus wept over lazarus's death and jesus wept over the city of jerusalem so we have a savior and a lord who weeps over people and places and so that means that emotions are to enhance our life Mm -hmm. um not to enslave us and so i think that that's really important I'm going to quote your wife here. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was preaching a couple weeks ago in church, and she said that minimizing your disappointment doesn't make you a strong person. That's Tina Kim. (laughs) And uh, I thought that that was a really profound uh, statement. Um, There's a a woman who used to go to our church named Joellen, and she said something like to the effect of don't make an idol out of your pain. Mm. And I think that there's there's a great level of tension in not making an idol of my pain, not putting my pain before God and not giving my pain permission for me to do destructive things or say destructive things. 
and then also not on the other side of that same coin, not minimizing my disappointment and pretending I'm yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't have a formal education, but I do have <laughs> an honorary PhD in disappointment. And one of the things about disappointment is that disappointment often notifies you that you had expectations. And just because those expectations weren't met doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't real or weren't valid or that you should totally give up and lose heart. Sometimes uh, the disappointment in that situation is just telling you you need to reroute yourself because, you know, there's traffic on this route, but you need to go another route, but getting into the same uh, destination. And I'm just talking about that as it relates to stuff, um, impractical uh, stuff. Um, I think too, that as a pastor and coming from the biblical text, as it relates to how do I handle sadness? I think that I have to understand that Jesus, this is Isaiah 53. um, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as it as we, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Within the Christian world, People believe, oh, my sins are forgiven. They can handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, people, some people even believe God can heal people. You know, um, we've seen all types of supernatural healings, um, and so so we believe that. One of the things that I find that most believers don't understand is that Jesus carried my grief and my sorrow to the tree. Yep. So the same way my sins are forgiven how I experience real pain in real life is defeated through Jesus's death on the cross and him being raised on the third day means I have a new life in him mm-hmm. and I can have not only victory over sin and death and sickness and hell, but I can actually have victory over grief and over sorrow. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that grief and sorrow are an important part of life because what I found, I'll just share from personal, uh, when my mother died um, of cancer, I went through the immediate pain and loss of, okay, I will never hug my mother again, like on on the human side of I won't see her again, I won't hug her, I won't embrace her, she will not cook me uh, gravy on Sunday, she's gone. And so you you first feel the the sadness and the grief of that, and then you go into another phase of now there's places and spaces in that she occupied in my life that are no longer uh, she will no longer be present in, which is also painful. Um, but what I would say to that is that if you don't deal with sadness or grief, it turns to anger. Yeah. And I th- and, and I think that bitter roots. Yeah, managing your anger, obviously, it's better than not managing it. Yeah. But Jesus wants people to be free from it. And when you look at most angry people, you're dealing with people who suppressed sadness or disappointment and 
that's what so, happened. So that's what I learned because I was very stunted in this whole morning development. I learned that, oh, when I'm angry, it's really sadness under it. So now when I feel anger, I ask God, is that anger or is that sadness? And he'll let me yeah. know. Yeah. 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 And, and the thing is like when, when, when someone experiences injustice, uh, which to me, my mom dying prematurely felt like an injustice. Yeah. Um, I don't believe God gave her cancer because God doesn't have cancer. Um, I don't believe any doctor tried to hurt her specifically. Mm-hmm. I just believe that you live in a world full of sin uh, and bad stuff happens to good people. We see that all the time. We also see good stuff happens to bad people. Yeah. Uh, no, you know. So, but so living in a world uh, full of sin. Um, these things happen. And I think that having a theology of sin, suffering, and death, yeah. that helps you to mentally reconcile why these things happen. 100%. If you yeah. don't have a, a, a um, kind of like a theology mm-hmm. of, of God overcoming sin in Christ and overcoming uh, death and helping us to deal with sorrow and if if there's no hope if there's no way to have victory then it's hopeless yeah. and when you're hopeless why not do self-destructive stuff and that's that's what happens like without what i mean just me without jesus yeah i would do severely destructive stuff yeah it makes and sense too yeah yeah without hope mm-hmm. you know there's no anchor i was totally gonna say the same thing like if you explore and look into all other worldviews and religions and beliefs they don't have an answer for the pain and suffering for this world. There's no real solution or answer to why. So the only way they could resolve that is minimize it, ignore it, or say, oh, it's supposed to be there. Buddhists yeah. say, You're, you gotta detach yourself from the material world. Yeah. Like it's, but those are all ways to escape it, and the pain doesn't go anywhere. That's still suppressed somewhere inside you. Sure. Jesus is the only one that says, no, your pain is real, acknowledges yeah. it, I bore it. Yeah, bore it. That's how real it is. But then he counterbalances it with the hope that I'll wipe away every tear. Yeah. So there is the acknowledgement of the pain and suffering and then a solution to it. Yeah. All, yeah. all meditation. To me, that's one of the most profound scriptures in the whole Bible. Um, he uh, DK is referencing Revelation 21.4, where one day God will wipe every tear from our eyes. And that that's to the believer. Um, so if you want to receive that, you got to believe in Jesus. But that the hope of that is incredible because this mark this life is marked with pain yeah i mean there's no way to get around that um i find that it's it's good to deal with things um quickly mm-hmm. or they'll they'll deal with you yeah and to answer his question do you find it challenging i would say that yes it is challenging uh because the challenges are they just keep coming so it's almost sometimes like a rainstorm where your windshield wipers just need to stay on because mm. you're in a rainstorm. Yeah. And um, sometimes in a rainstorm, the smartest thing that you can do is pull over, actually, mm-hmm. um, and, and get about 30 feet off the road if you can. Mm-hmm. And there's other times where, you know, the speed of the wipers, you know, you just hold fast and keep going. Um, so I, I think that there are times when you need to really slow down and process what is happening. Yeah. And there's other times where you just kind of need to go, th- just kind of go through it. There's only one way mm. and that's through it. But um, I did find it more challenging in the beginning. Um, but once once I learned to detach myself from other people's choices, 
that was really freeing for me. And as a pastor, you know, you love people, you care for people, you listen to people. Most of the time, we want to see people succeed more than they want to succeed. And we believe things about them that they don't even believe about themselves. Mm so that 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 can be challenging like dealing with the disappointment of living with unrealized potential because people don't want to deal with their pain or their sin that is a result of pain um or their destructive habits that's a result of sadness turned to grief now you uh morphed into anger and self-destructive behavior yeah that's sad and it's challenging to see that all you can do is love people but you cannot um, you cannot internalize mm-hmm. what's going on. So I, if I could use the metaphor of like a dog, mm-hmm. I may um, you know see crap on the floor. I may put it in a bag, mm-hmm. but I'm not bringing it home with me. I'm going to leave it out on the curb. Yeah. And so like you want to help people with their stuff and with their junk. So you need and, a healthy discernment of knowing what's your responsibility and what's yeah, not, right? Yeah, that's really important. Yeah. Like I don't I don't internalize people's bad choices. Yeah. Um, Jesus was perfect and people didn't all choose him. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not perfect and people are not always gonna listen to me. Uh, sometimes I don't even listen to myself. You know, some so sometimes uh, we all do things that we're like, oh that was that wasn't wise. Um, and so I don't internalize that and um, I just sometimes you know I just pray for people. I just like yeah. God, you know this. But this dude is having a real rough time. Help him. And sometimes I pray too that God will send someone to speak to someone. So let's say I can't speak to you because mm-hmm. you won't hear me mm-hmm. or you won't you won't be willing to listen to me. I'll just pray that God will send someone that you will be willing to listen to. Mm-hmm. So there's people that I can't speak to, yeah. but I can speak to God on their behalf. So as a pastor, that's that's a practical thing mm-hmm. that I, I would say there's many times where there's people that are right in front of you and you have something that you could say to them that would be helpful for them, but they're mm-hmm. not ready to hear it. Mm-hmm. So you just pray. So I'll talk to God on your behalf if you're not ready to listen to me. Yeah. Um, and Jesus did that with his disciples. He's like, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. You don't have the shoulders for them. In other words, they're too heavy for you right now. But then he was like, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll lead you in all truth. You'll you'll eventually get it. And um, so the good news is for people who stick around, they start to learn the discipline of how to process their emotions in faith. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, you are only as spiritually mature as you are emotionally healthy. Mm. And, you know, part of emotional health is emotional agility, Mm -hmm. the ability to bounce and the ability to meet with someone for coffee who's going through a hellish time. Mm. And 15 minutes later to receive a phone call from another brother who just got a raise that's going to change his life Mm -hmm. and you know emotional agility that's really a part of uh the game because the scripture calls us to show up where people are it says you know um mourn with those who mourn rejoice with those who rejoice Mm -hmm. which means on a practical level there has to be a, a level of uh emotional intelligence and emotional um, agility to be able to kind of move and yeah. navigate that. And what I find is the Bible says that hope is the anchor of the soul, mm. right? So in a storm, they would throw the anchor into the water so that the boat wouldn't tip from the storm and from the wind and the waves. So in a storm, the anchor gets thrown and it keeps you moving but not tipped over. In calm waters, it keeps you still in one place for one time. So 
hope will keep you still when you need to be still mm-hmm. and calm and quiet and it'll help you. But it'll also keep you going through something and, and that won't, that would, without hope, would just tip you over yeah. and capsize you and just, sh- yeah. you know, sink your ship. Um, and, and so I think that hope is really essential because it helps, it helps give you emotional stability. And if I don't have stability, I can't have agility. Yeah. So I think that those are practicals and on, you know, to, to get super practical, like literally write down the things that are bothering you Mm -hmm. and like literally roll up the piece of paper and like throw it in the garbage and say, Jesus, I trust you. And I am not in control of everything. I can only control my responses and I'm choosing to trust you with this. And, and sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of things in this life that are just completely outside of our control and we have to just kind of let, like, just not allow something that we can't control to control us. Yeah. And fight the reflex to numb that, that pain or, or the discomfort. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you, um, someone going through like real pain, like a tragedy. Yep. What's the most helpful thing? One of the most helpful things, my my pastor, Jason Alvarez, the pastor of the church that I grew up in, he said something to me that I find is really helpful to believers and non-believers actually too. Mm. Do not allow a tragedy to reshape your theology. So just because I walk through a tragedy doesn't mean God did that. How could I go to God for help if I believe he's literally the source of this problem. Mm. That's why having a understanding or a worldview that is biblical understanding, there's God, there's the devil, Mm -hmm. there's good, there's evil, there's sin, there's righteousness, there's hope, there's hopelessness. That gives me a compass. Like for example, if I'm gonna put in a destination in my car, you know, in my GPS, it always starts with where I am. So in, in your life, in your journey, whether it's spiritual, emotional, economic, uh, weightlifting, powerlifting, building wealth, paying debt, you always start where you are. You know, you don't start where you want to be, mm-hmm. you know. Like it or not. Yeah. I mean, that, that's important to, to not um, blame God for something that you don't understand, but seek God. And I find that people who really seek God find direction. Mm-hmm. Like you may be in the midst of a really difficult situation and I would just pray. I would say, God, like I need your help. Yeah. I, I always think humility is really key in life. Like when you become teachable, a teacher appears. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that principle is mm-hmm. through and through, whether it's your spiritual life, your economic life, uh, just in general. And so I, I think humble and teachable We'll find help mm-hmm. and grace, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes that's exactly what you need to spin out of it. And I also would say, get away from people that will feed the negative mm. and people who will help you numb your issue instead of encouraging you toward actually dealing with it. Yeah, people who want to pull you out. Yeah, yeah, go go towards that. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd get away from uh, folks that will feed mm-hmm. the evil, yeah. you know, in you. Yeah, you know. So I hope that that was helpful and um, bless you guys. I pray peace over you and I pray that you will learn how to deal with sadness in faith uh, and with wisdom. 
and in truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Adam Levecki here. On behalf of DK Kim and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.